it is scary. It really is scary, especially for someone who's not naturally, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a natural hiker. Um, but <laughs> come on now. Um, the hair and the makeup says it. But it's like, <laughs> you're like, ah, judgment. <laughs> um, I remember it, you just sort of, it does freak you out a little bit. It really does. Like every noise you hear, you start to, you know, create in your head, what could that be? Yeah. What's outside? Who knows? Um, I'm very thankful to earplugs. Earplugs did save my life a lot out there. I didn't have to listen to noises outside. So when we find ourselves wishing we could stand You're listening to the Hiking Through Podcast. I'm Erin Egan, and this is the podcast where I talk to experienced thru-hikers about their adventures on the trail and strategies for successfully completing a thru-hike. Today's guest is American Idol, known off-trail as Gretel Scarlet. She is an actress, singer, dancer, and successful Pacific Crest Trail thru-hiker from Australia. During this episode, we discuss the unique challenges of being a Sobo PCT thru-hiker, a woman and a non-American on the trail, and how a little do-it-yourself ingenuity to stay warm created the Tyvek Burrito. You can find us at hiking-through.com, through spelled T-H-R-U, of course, where you can find show notes, photos, and links for any gear mentioned in this podcast. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcast and all the other podcast places. Enjoy part one of my conversation with American Idol. Hi, how are you? I am fantastic. How are you doing? Excellent. I'm well, thank you. It's lovely to meet you. <laughs> lovely to meet you as well. I cannot tell you how excited I was about this conversation. Amazing. <laughs> I'm glad we can make it happen. <laughs> no, absolutely. Because I've been I've been talking to a lot of dudes lately and they have a completely cool. different perspective. <laughs> I bet they do. <laughs> Especially a blonde hiker <laughs> like who doesn't sort of fit the normal hiking build. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> on on a number of different fronts, yes. I know. <laughs> so yeah, I'm glad that I could be one of your little survey participants. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fantastic. I like I said, I I've been looking forward to this. Like as I as I get through with each of the other conversations, I'm like, oh, you know, I just I've got to ask Randall this. Awesome, awesome. I'm looking forward to because I'm like, I don't know how to plan for this. <laughs> well, you sort of planned for five or six months, and then. <laughs> Yes, I did. <laughs> and then it just happens. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Which begs the question, mm. why? How? <laughs> I know. It's a very, very common question. People are like, what were you thinking? Um, why? I needed to – I had a bit of a um, some health issues that came about and it was sort of time for me to reset myself. I sort of put it – down that sort of path as my explanation. Um, ideally, once I had my diagnosis, they it didn't sort of le- it led me to a place where I was like, well, what do I do now? I needed time away. I didn't want to continue doing. I come from the land of performing arts, mm-hmm. so I didn't want to be going on red carpets. I didn't want to be going to opening night events. I didn't want to be being seen. So for me, the PCT was a time in which I could strangely hide away 
Yes. Um, do something alone with no judgment, no expectation from anyone and sort of just be with myself. I think that was the main thing. But I also, I mean, I had great support from my family. I think that's one of the the greatest things for me. So I never sort of felt like I was completely alone out there. But going southbound, it was definitely a lot lonelier than probably what you've spoken to northbounders. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, definitely. So that was sort of why, I suppose, in, in, a, in a nutshell, I needed time away. I needed time out. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't do a lot of research, I suppose, and this is going to be very interesting. Probably the people you <laughs> have spoken to are like avid hikers. And I was like, I remember just sitting on the edge of my bed and mum said to me, she's like, what do you want to do? And I said, I, I just want to go away. I want to hide. And she was like, okay, well, why don't you, you know, go and travel for a bit or, whatever, you know, go, go and meet some people or do – do, so do something, you know, and I was like, okay. And so we talked about like little, you know, what we call Kentucky cruises. I don't know if you guys know about them. They're sort of like, you know, party cruises and I'm not a yeah. partier. I was like, no, mom, like I can't do that. And so I just, I remember I just picked up, she, she went out to make a cup of tea and I picked up her laptop and I was like, Pacific Crest Trail and just typed it in and Google and I was like, hey, how about I do the Pacific Crest Trail? And she was like, yeah, sounds good. <laughs> and that was sort of it. <laughs> and from there, it was just plan, plan, plan. And I don't think they thought I was serious. Like I think it sort of hit yeah. them hit them about two or three weeks later when it was because I only got time to prepare for probably two months fully. Okay. I, I was also I was already putting this into perspective though for people listening. I was already very fit. I'm a dancer, a singer and actress. So I was, I constantly was at the gym. I was dancing, you know, seven days a week. I'm a very fit human being. So that the concept of walking every day was not, was not a problem for me. So my fitness was fine. Right. Whereas I know that people do have to sort of, if they're going from nothing to all of a sudden having to do something, yes, I would highly recommend getting themselves fit. Um, so the fitness side of things was not an issue. It was more the mental planning of what am I doing? What's this resupply business? Huh? Like what, how many miles a day? How long is this going to take me? Like this sort of Mm -hmm. stuff. So, and I'm an avid researcher. So it sort of fell into, into that, um, concept. I just started researching straight away. And then all of a sudden about like four weeks later, they were like, Oh my God, she's actually doing it. (laughs) She's serious. She's serious. I was like, this is happening. And they're like, okay, bye. (laughs) So yeah, that's how it happened. That's why I did it. (laughs) Yeah. So I I sort of have two questions. When you typed in Pacific Crest Trail, where were you? I mean, because I know you're in Vancouver now. I was in Australia back in my hometown where I grew up. So how did you know about the Pacific Crest Trail? How did you know even to type it in? (laughs) So I had sort of, I'd known the trail existed as, I I had been hiking before in New Zealand, but not a lot. I'd only done like a four-day trek through the South Island. Mm -hmm. So I knew about the TA in New Zealand. And just knowing about a few of the hikes around the world, I was very familiar with the TA and also the PCT being probably the, the, I don't know, people say the AT is more popular than PCT. I don't know, but for some reason I knew of the Pacific Crest Trail. Also, well, I'd never watched Wild and I'd never read the book. So there was a point where I was like, this is, that was not my influence. Right. But I knew of it via that medium, absolutely, especially being in the arts industry. That's how I knew about the PCT. But so that's why I typed in Pacific Crest Trail. Um, ideally, it was just lo- a long distance hike. 
I'd right. known of some over in Europe, of course, but I didn't want to go to Europe. I think there was, there was just something I, I really wanted to go to the States and hike. So that was the first one that came to my mind. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Appalachian Trail seems to be people's entry drug. Like, I've heard this. Yeah. You know, yeah. Where, they, where they're like, I'm just going to pull together whatever hiking equipment that I have in my house <laughs> and I'm going to go onto the AT. Away we go. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> With your camp chairs. <laughs> You're like, yes, what? <laughs> you, you say that, but I literally just talked to a guy who did Southbound on the, on the AT. Yes. And he started out with a fishing pole and an axe <laughs> and, uh, like, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> That's all I can say. Good luck. Yeah. We've all been there. It's okay. No one's judging. Just good luck. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it is fascinating though. Like people. Yeah. People take out and go and do this. Yep. Um, on a, I'm not going to say it's a whim, but it's sort of a whim because it most really people is. don't have the background before that. No, and I think that's it's an interesting thing. I know that there's a lot of yeah, like the the avid hikers. I think they do it for a very different reason, and I have no and I have no judgment on that. And I met a lot of people, and their wisdom was you know because hiking was their life. Mm-hmm. It was lovely to share some moments with them, especially the ones I, I know there was two southbounding guys um, in 2017 who were way ahead of the pack. They were like, you know, almost the first to Mexico and they were avid hikers. And I am incredible. Like I was so supported by them and I'd never got to meet them on the trail, but through social media okay. um, and these sort of things like the inboxes are like, yeah, just keep going. Like they were cheering me on being a solo female out there and they were just, yeah, just two incredible humans who had no judgment of why people were out there doing the hike. Um, yeah. Whereas I think there could possibly be a lot of people who are a bit like, well, that's not a hiker. Look at her or look at him, you know, and there could be a little bit of judgment. And I really respected the people who didn't judge it. It was a really, yeah, interesting thing. Mm. Yeah. No, I, I think you're right that there is a little bit of a culty thing going on where people get in and then. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It can turn into that and it can be very intimidating as an outsider. Um, and I think that's one thing I recommend to most hikers is just to, to do their trail. Like you just, you, you, you hike your own hike and people will say yeah. that over and over and over, but it does come down to that. You must hike your own hike and it's okay if you don't fit into that little sort of, you know, mm-hmm. the niche of avid hikers and the cult. Yeah. Like anything, there's a cult in every industry, let's be honest. So, you know, <laughs> we can't, I, I can't judge that. And I, yeah, I, I was my own person out there. Mm. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the other things that I do hear from people, and maybe this is a question that should come at the end, but I'm going to ask it now, which is a lot of people are like, okay, I got on the AT and I did that. And then I got the bug. And then all of a sudden I had to do the PCT and the CDT <laughs> yeah. and the Arizona trail and the, and the, and the. Yes. Anything like that for you? Or was the PCT fulfilling in itself and you can walk away? Well, it, it was fulfilling in itself. Absolutely. The PCT, um, I sort of, when I got to Mexico, I thought, yep, like, yeah, that, like I, I completed <laughs> something. Good. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but I must say, and this is the irony of this, of this question. Last night I was looking at like the, a- the AT, like I, I haven't, and it's not that I was like, I'm going to go and do it. It's just, I'm like, oh yeah, like I've done the PCT. I can, it's, it's almost like if you've done it, 
You can do anything. Yeah. And I think that's sort of what it comes down to. It's like if you've got the time to do it, you can do it. I unfortunately feel I can't take another five and a half to six months out of my life to do it. Yeah. Um, it was sort of it was a time in which I needed to gain clarity and perspective on me, on my friendship circles in life, the people I'm surrounded by, and where to go from there with my my outside my other career. Um, so that for me was that's why it sort of felt like an accomplishment. But I, I, I worry I would not like to take out another five to six months, I think. I'd love, I'd happily do a section, though. I would happily be a section hiker. And any section hiker I met, I was never looking down on them like, oh, my God, like you're a section hiker, whatever. Like right. I was like, go you. You're doing this the right way. <laughs> I'm like, this is madness. <laughs> this 35-mile-a-day this business is madness. <laughs> but, yeah, it's good. Which brings up the question, like how many miles a day were you doing? Okay. Very early on, I was not doing a lot. I was doing roughly, I think, I'm not including my first down trail because I started at like 3 p.m. in the afternoon, but I was probably around the 12 miles to 13 miles a day very, very early on. Hiker legs sort of started to come about by week two, week three, like all of a sudden I started to hit 20s, um, 20s into the 24s and the 25s, and then I did, I was a bit psycho sometimes and did 35s and 36s, mainly just because it was either to get to camp spots or it was knowing where the next water source was or working out how much food I had left in my pack to get into town before dark. Like, so it just sort of, it comes into a logical planning. I I was a planner. I know someone asked me out on the trail, um, they said to me, "Are, are you a goal driven or experience driven? And I got to answer that for myself very uh, towards the end of the trail when I hit the desert. I was like, I'm goal driven because I needed to know a from point A to point B where I was going to ha- like end up at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. I worked out how many miles I was going to do, and I was like, and I was going to do that. So like, I would send a text or something to my family through my GPS, and I'd be like, Hey, I'm going to be trying for a 32 today or something and they're like yeah okay good luck you know and I was like no you watch me I will do that (laughs) and they're like oh my gosh she's gonna do it they're watching me on the little like map device and they're like oh god she did it (laughs) so I was like yeah so I'm I'm goal driven but I like to enjoy the experience as I do it (laughs) that was my answer to that question (laughs) I I would I would I would have to laugh I would almost like in the response of um family don't you know me at this point? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's funny, t- talking about miles per day, it was interesting to see people who slowed down in mileage mm-hmm. and um, the likes of myself that picked up in mileage. I was quite, I was slow to begin. Um, and I feel like females, all of a sudden, we have longevity. We can go, we can keep going, we can do it. Yeah, it's really strange. Whereas guys all of a sudden be like, no, I just want to chill out and like sit down or whatever. And I'm like, just going to keep going. Yeah. So it was very interesting to all of a sudden here I was smashing out probably on average, like I had an average number was anywhere between 25 to 28 miles Mm -hmm. in the sort of the high Sierras. I remember that sort of time, which is crazy for the high Sierras, but I remember doing like two in one day I was like what am I doing but I was just able to do it by that stage I just yeah whereas some boys had really yeah were struggling by that time that they were tiring or taking it easy or zero days or yes oh zero days oh my god some people just zero their life away I was like I'm going to Mexico (laughs) so yeah I mean to put it in perspective I mean and your mileage isn't 
honestly that different from what everybody else ends up doing at some, you know, some points along the way. But like to put it into perspective for the for the yes. stay at home errs, you're doing a marathon a day. Yeah. Like that's what it comes down to. <laughs> it's a marathon. Yeah, it really is. People that's train for months for a marathon. <laughs> it's true and you've just got to learn how to like pace yourself because every single day you're just you know and if you feel like you want to take you know I, I know a person said to me out on the trail a very good friend of mine um, who I still keep in contact with after after the trail he said to me he used to make a joke and he's like take a load off like just if it gets to a point where you're just like oh my god like I've just been walking for four hours straight take your pack off and sit down and look around at how because majority of the views are incredible yeah. Like you very rarely have an ugly view. Maybe around Oregon, it's a little bit like, Meh, what's the point? But, you know, the best thing about Oregon, it delivers you a flat, wide path, mm-hmm. which is if you're heading northbound, you're going to hit Washington. All of a sudden, it's a bit of a trick. Um, I, I bushwhacked majority of Washington coming southbound because oh, there really? was no, well, there was no northbounders already plowing through there. So we were the first people through after the snow. Mm-hmm. So there was this whole section. I've got myself on a video and it's just plants or like these everything around me and I'm just like walking over. It was my first complete like face plant stack on the trail because I got caught under a plant. I was like, oh, my God. I was like, I'm done. That's it. It's the end of the PCT and it's only Washington. <laughs> so, yeah, it, what Washington is difficult, especially for southbounders. It's straight out the gate. You are just – it's hard. It's, yeah. You're doing four peaks a day. Very different to the Sierras, though. Um, the peaks are smaller, but it's more up and down mm-hmm. um, the whole time. Whereas the Sierras, like you'll go up and then come down and camp and then go up and down. Yeah. Right. Now, and yeah. I, I've heard from many people that Washington is the prettiest. Oh my God! Yes, I would happily do Washington all over again. It's beautiful. It's, yeah. it's like no other part of the trail. It's green. The air is completely clear. By the time that, like, when you're hiking it as a southbounder, you're not in the middle of um, any sort of wildfires. Yeah. You're starting out the gate with really fresh air. And then by the time you sort of hit wildfire season, of course, it's sort of Oregon into California. So Washington just delivers. It's so beautiful. The water is incredible because it's all the glacial melts. Um It's, yeah. I mean, but it's, but it's hard. Like, but I think that's the nicest thing. I remember... I think I've got a video of myself on day two and I've just, I'm just sitting down and I was like, this is so hard. Like, what have I got myself into? And I took my pack off and just, I had, you know, these incredible snowy mountains in front of me and it just, it's, it's motivation to put your pack on and keep going. Like, it's so beautiful. Yeah. How did you mentally do it? Like, particularly since because you were southbound, you were hiking a lot by yourself. Absolutely. You know, whereas the northbounders um, and like on the AT and stuff, there's so many people that you end up with a group, a family yeah. of sorts and stuff like yeah. that, which you're not going to get on the southbound. No. So how did you keep yourself motivated? How did you get yourself up every morning? How did you mentally, how did you keep going? Yeah, that's a very, very interesting question. And I know my, like my mom said to me, she's like, did you ever like wake up in the morning and we're like, Oh, I've got to do this all over again. Like, and I never, that thought never crossed my mind. I don't know wow. why. It's like, I just knew I had to get to Mexico. Like mm-hmm. I, I just knew like that was just it. It was like, you just pack up your life and keep going. I think mentally, you've got to find what it is that gets, that makes you happy out there, which is a real lesson in life. And that's what I walked away with. Um, there's no point in doing something that's going to make you incredibly 
depressed and feel like you're, I don't know, worthless. I suppose out there for me mentally, music was my thing. So I sang a lot on the trail. Uh, People could hear me coming, which gave me my trail name. What's your trail Um, name? American Idol. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was just glad it wasn't something like, you know, cheesies or like uh, almond butter or something. I didn't want to be named after food in my pack. I was like, no, I refuse to be named after food. And so I, I was very, very kindly named that from a fellow hiker, uh, two fellow hikers. One was called Tripsy. One was called Mary Poppins. Fantastic. Yeah, Mary Poppins is a very is an avid hiker. Um, she's the most delightful human, like just someone who had already hiked the PCT northbound and then decided to go southbound. These were two women also. Um, so we sort of created a little like of us at one stage. Um, and it felt it was pretty empowering to be solo females who just connected and then all of a sudden, you know, and she and as I say, Mary Poppins was an yeah an absolute mm-hmm. hiker she was what you would call a through hiker and still is she just did the um, the high sierra route last week and you just like she was someone who had no judgment didn't like no judgment for the fact that people were not hikers mm-hmm. or were new newbies so yeah i mentally back to that question um mentally dealt with it a lot i sang a lot so from the moment i woke up until I got to my campsite um, so people could hear me coming from a mile. So could the bears, so could the mountain lions. Always important. Um, so, yeah, always important. Didn't carry bells, but I definitely sang. So that that got me through a lot. Um, mentally in other times when it was sort of like, oh, God, how do I keep going? Did you create rules for yourself or did you need to? I think I'm a person who naturally doesn't really give up. It's almost like I was, I, I had, okay, this is a, this is a really strange thing, but I had no other option. If I left the trail, I went back to Australia, right? For other people, I can see that it must be so difficult for them. And this is why I have such empathy for them in this situation. When they, when it's days when they're like, I can't go on, they could just go on a flight to somewhere domestic and get to their family. I had no family or no contacts in the okay. US. So aside from my brother who was in Houston, but I mean, he was useless. He's only 18. So, I mean, there wasn't like he could really do anything for me. I could, I just sent him all the gear I didn't Mm -hmm. want, (laughs) but he had no idea other than that. He was just like, yeah, keep going. (laughs) Like, I don't know what you're doing. Um, So, I mean, I couldn't really run to help, uh, run for help from him. Whereas I think it must be, it must be so hard for people who go to hike the trail with partners and loved ones that are so close. It must be so tempting to just Mm -hmm. give it up. And go, I've, you know, I've done it and it's enough. But I also have such respect for people who hike, you know, for three weeks and go, I'm done. I don't need to do anymore. Like, and that, that, that was right. their, you know, they're done. That was their, their gratification was, you know, yep, three weeks was enough. I think that's a, and that's a really important decision for them to be able to just walk away and be okay with how much they did. And for me, I just, I just knew that. From day dot, and I mean, I've been very goal-oriented my um, my entire life. I just knew that I was going to get to Mexico, so it was like I, I was going to get there no matter what. I was going to so make it happen. So your rule was essentially, I'm going to get to Mexico, and there was no deviation yep. from that. There was no deviation, no. And I found it like it was a really difficult time around the time of um, uh, probably because we had the solar yeah. eclipse last year. 
time you sort of started to see people be like, hey, let's go to festivals, let's go to the solar eclipse, let's wait here and camp by this lake for three weeks until the sun comes. Like, And it's a bit like I I didn't – I was like, no, I've, I've got to keep going. I need to get through the Sierras mm-hmm. before the snow. I need to because if I wait up here, I, I knew I wasn't as fast as people who were pulling like a 52-day in Oregon yeah. or something. I was just like, oh, my God, good with that. Um, I was like, that, I was not going to do that. Um <laughs> So I I knew my time limit and how long I needed to get to the Sierras. I had planned it out accordingly, like seven days here, six days there till the next stop, five days here till the next food stop, ten days mm-hmm. through the Sierras. I, I just knew it. So I I had it all calculated and done beforehand and it was a choice of mine to keep going. So I think and that's my mental game is like if you you we all have choices. Mm-hmm. You either get up and keep going or you finish. Right. It's up to you. How, how closely did yeah. you stay to your pre-planned calendar? Okay. Pretty close. At first, I was quite behind. I definitely overestimated how many miles a day I would be doing, thinking I would just be out the, out the gate just like, yep, here we go, mm-hmm. 25, done, and 25-mile days. Whereas, So I was a good probably five days behind my schedule to start five to seven days. Unfortunately, there was some fires around the south of Oregon. So I had to, I skipped out. So from like mm-hmm. Ashland, as opposed to walking the highway, I was not going to walk a highway. Um, that was my choice. I did not want to walk a highway. So I got to pick up a few days there to get back into okay. Etna was my pickup point in Etna in North California, Northern California. So yeah. So that sort of got back me then. Track, yeah. About a little bit back on track yeah and then I got down to Tehachapi and I was the, the weather was fine that I, I waited there for a couple of I waited there for a week or two um for a couple of guys behind me okay. um who I'd met in Washington so I waited to to catch up with them again to do a section of to do a section of California because they sort of ended up being my best friends right. out on trail and and from your mm. pictures yeah. I mean, you ran into some good snows down in the Sierras any regardless yeah, of, of I what sure you did. were planning for there was a complete. There was a snowstorm around Donna Pass um, coming in that day. That was really rough. Um, I remember it started raining and the winds were so heavy. And I got to Donna Pass Ski Ranch and they were very, very incredible people. So I had to stop there because I couldn't walk. You couldn't see um, in front of you like mm-hmm. a good couple of feet. Um, and the next section going towards uh, Tahoe. Um, was just all it was sort of a bit cliff cliff ridden you couldn't see anything so I waited it out there um, in Donna Pass and then of course walked through snow from then onwards so it was a good good falling of snow but it was also a bit of a panic station because I thought oh god what's the Sierra is going to be like and I know it was such a high snow year for the northbounders that they them had to skip the Sierras and the poor things they either went back to do it or were going to do it this right. year so I mean kudos to for making the safe choice because there was a couple of deaths yeah uh, yeah were you hiking by yourself at that point I was yeah yeah I'd gone in by myself um there was another girl um I so I did the Sierras completely alone Donna Pass I was with an uh with Tripsy mm-hmm. the other female hiker from California um so I did into Donna Pass with her um and then we sort of lost each other after Tahoe it's crazy, crazy. stuff crazy stuff 
It was pretty scary. My, my scariest day on trail was Sonora Pass, and I was very, very lucky to have had um, Tripsy mm-hmm. with me. She, So we were going because I'd had no snow experience. I saw snow and touched snow for the first time in Washington. I made sure I did a mountaineering course before I started the trail. So I got to Seattle and went straight to the mountains and did a course with a group up there. And it's scary. It's really scary when you don't grow up with snow. We only have snow in Australia a couple of months of the year if you're lucky to go to Mount Kosciuszko. I didn't because we lived so north of Australia, so hot. Um, we're like, you know, 115 Fahrenheit majority of the year. So I unfortunately couldn't do it in Australia, so I did it in Washington. And I'm very, very glad that I did because I think it would be very stupid to go and do any full uh, through hike with snow conditions without any um, any idea of it. So, But, I mean, it was very scary by that stage because Sonora Pass, we weren't expecting snow. So we had no snow gear, no ice axes, no crampons, no nothing because it was such a, a, an instant sudden thing that was like, where has this come from? So I remember sort of looking down Sonora Pass and I was like, oh, my God, if I slip, I'm done. And it's fresh snow. It's like it's so different. Um, and then, of course, the melt-off starts to turn to ice, ice, and so all of a sudden – I know Tripsy nearly slipped off the edge on one of the things. I was like, oh, my God, because our shoes were not holding them. Um, so when I got to Mammoth to continue south into the Sierras by myself, I did I did get um, some micro spikes okay. at that point just in case it's going to get any icy sort of mm-hmm. terrain. And, yeah, I didn't pick up my ice axe in that again, though, because, I mean, that was going to – it's no sort of use at that point because the snow is right, so fresh. Right. What was the mountaineering course that you did in Seattle? Um, I did it through, uh, what was they called? Um, good question. I'm not sure who they are, uh, what they are again. Then. Mountain Guides. I think that, yeah, Mountain Guides. I went, um, to Mount Ruth and did, yeah, just past Mount Baker, sort of area they took us inland past Bellingham. Yeah. And it was really, it was awesome. It was so much, it was, you know, it was hard. Um, but I learned to camp on snow in case I had to come oh, across perfect. anything like that. So I learned how to like, dig into the snow and how to pitch my tent if I had to, making like ice bags. Um, yeah, just it was it was really and, and learning how to self mm-hmm. self-arrest, which is so hard, especially if you've got a whole hiking pack on your back with a bear can. It's like, oh God, you know, it, it takes you it takes you first. So you've got to know how to sort yeah. of stop yourself. Yeah. So I highly recommend any mountaineering course of some survival. It sounds yeah. amazing and very important to I mean, Absolutely. particularly if you're doing the PCT and you're going to hit snow one way or the other, you're either yep. going to hit snow in the Sierras or you're going to hit snow up in Washington, Yep. you know, and how many of us have actually had to deal with it at that level? Exactly. <laughs> and I mean, no one's carrying ice axes or anything like that. This is the thing. It's like, you're so ultra light that that sort of stuff, you just throw out your pack. You're like, no, I'm not carrying that. That's just weighing me down. So if anything sudden does happen and weather is weather, it's like, it's got a whole different mind, you know, it's a whole different yeah. game. So yeah, you've got to be prepared for any sort of circumstance. Yeah. No, absolutely. Speaking of being prepared, like food wise, mm. I know like most of the people that I'm talking to at this point are resupplying at the stores in the towns or whatever that they're going into. Yes. But you have some dietary restrictions. You needed to be more careful than that. I mean, cause they're eating like teenagers yeah. and I'm assuming that you did not. <laughs> 
I didn't. <laughs> it's so funny. I just found my book before and I was like, oh, I'll just get some stuff that like notes that I had. I had like this has all like what everything was in, like each of my boxes before I start like <laughs> everything in box one, uh-huh. box two, box three. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. Um, I did have some dietary restrictions because of the diagnosis that I'd got back in Australia. They had diagnosed me as pre-diabetic. So um I actually hiked the trail with um, with diabetic medication, um, so with metformin tablets, which weighed my pack down. But um, I also had to make sure that my sugar levels were consistent throughout the trail, and that meant not eating Snickers bars twenty four seven. And oh god, I was so jealous of those people who could just down a Snickers bar like every couple of hours, and just that was it. You're like, well, that was your food for the day. Fantastic. I did a lot of planning of dehydrated vegetables, a lot of – I had oats for breakfast, instant oats, and I had things like chia seeds and hemp seeds in my my oats with like freeze-dried raspberries or freeze-dried blueberries. I put different things in every single single resupply. Uh, When I did get to Seattle, I did my resupply before the trail. So I ordered all my vegetables – and everything back in Australia, I ordered it as an Amazon delivery day happened to my place where I was staying in Seattle. And then I packed all my, my boxes from there and posted them all out to the trail. I posted all the way down to Agudolce, I think it was, as far to that, because then I did another resupply into Hatchapi when I got after after the Sierras I packed a few boxes for their south because by then I knew what I needed and I'd stocked up um, enough to be able to get me through. But yeah, I had things like, um, what did I have here? I had a lot of, so I had to do like gluten free, dairy free. Um, it was really difficult. Wow. Like, there no sugar. So I did the trail with very minimal sugar. So things like I had tortillas, I had um, freeze dried broccoli, freeze dried carrots, freeze dried corn, freeze dried spinach. Um, I had freeze dried a soup mix. I took a gluten free pasta. So I'd add that to my dinners or I'd do gluten free ramen. A very um very good company does a really good thing. I had I always had a um a superfood drink every day, like green foods, uh superfood, like smoothie, like their powder, so I'd do that. I always had hydration tablets in my box. I always took uh dried fruit. I had gluten free tortillas for lunch with like nut butters. Um I had some powdered protein okay. so that I would make protein um shakes as like a morning sort of snack. Um, I suppose in the realm of people like this hiker hunger thing, I have a very different opinion of it. And I only spoke recently to my mum because she's visiting me at the moment for the first time. I hadn't seen her in oh, 16 wow. months. So um, that's why I was like, it's hard. I was like, yeah, I need to. Um, it's been interesting talking to her about the experience because she remembers a lot of it, that probably the bits that I forgot. And she was following along on a lot of the hiking forums and people would talk about hiker hunger. And I believe that hiker hunger comes about because you're eating such trash on the trail that it makes your body crave crazy things in town. My my belief is the better you eat out on trail, the less sick of your food you get. I know that there was like I would take Lara bars. Okay. Um, I'd take some of them in every resupply box. I had um, like a fruit puree, little like mm-hmm. babies, sach- um, sachets of them. They were like really good. The little like sugar kicks and um there's a really good brand muir energy they did really good little okay. gels um that are full of like uh maca powder um yerba mate so they're really good energies without without 
you know, Reese's right. bars <laughs> and all the, all the lovely, lovely treats. So, yeah, my, my food perspective is very different mm-hmm. to some other people's. And, I, yeah, I know I did cop a little bit of like, what, you're eating that, like sort of stuff from other hikers. And I was like, well, you're eating that? Like, come on. But I ne- but to be honest, you like I never got sick of I was my food. Say, was there so I could I could, that you just No. And I would happily eat it like now. I look at that and I'm like, oh that looks tasty. Like to me <laughs> I never got sick of it. Because my like when I did the rehydrate like the, the dehydrated veggies, I'd have different veggies in every resupply mm-hmm. box. And then I'd add I'd have um nu- nutritional yeast flakes in with it and I'd always make sure I had salt and pepper on and I'd add different spices in sometimes. Um so it was like you know it was like I had a great meal at the end of the day to look forward to in my yeah. little pot. I was like it was all made. I mean there's some really <laughs> No, I was going to say Sorry? you're like the ultimate through hiking chef. <laughs> I I know but I mean some people there's some people who got the names like gourmet and stuff on the trail but they carried like bagels and salmon and like avocado I was like that's just that's heavy stuff and it lasted gourmet for 2 days and <laughs> like the rest of it was like oh yeah I was I just I sort of respected yeah I I needed to hike the trail and that's what I needed to eat to hike the trail otherwise I probably would have yeah been in, in a bit of a yucky state maybe um but there are some really good brands out there like I know it's good to go they did some they have some really good freeze-dried meals that are really good ingredients like very fresh um just dehydrated ingredients and they're quite tasty but i always found that they were really difficult sometimes to carry they're quite heavy or or the pre-made meals are very heavy if you just do the separate vegetables it's so light it's like tissue paper Hmm, interesting okay um because like yeah so yeah, I packed all that in my boxes. <laughs> but then, I mean, I also was not stupid. I did have little, like a little plastic Ziploc of gummy bears or Skittles or something like that in case my sugar was like, oh, and I'd have like a handful of them a day. I just learned to pace myself through it. I think when you do eat like Snickers and all the crazy foods, you get into town and your body is craving so much sugar because you've just been eating sugar for five days straight. And then you go beer and pizza and burgers and fries and McDonald's and... Oh my god! Or, or the Cascade Locks um, Ale House—they do a—it's a hiker burger, and it's two massive slices of pizza with like three burger steaks in the middle, and there's like seven different styles of cheese. It's just—it's rotten. <laughs> like, what is this? Oh my god! Um, but yeah, give it a go if you want it. <laughs> and I've heard about the so pancake. yeah, sure. the the pancake. Okay, so now I miss the pancake. I missed a lot of stuff. I didn't go into there was a few places. I was like, no, there's no point because I couldn't eat right. the pancake and I couldn't eat pie. Someone, someone has famous pies down in mm-hmm. the desert. One of the places, I don't know. I was like, oh, I missed that pie. Sorry. Gotta miss it. <laughs> there's a bakery up in Washington that's like a big okay. deal. And it was a big one that everyone went and stocked up on bakery goods. <laughs> did you do many like zero days in town or did you kind of keep moving? I kept moving. Generally, it would be one, one zero day, one or two zero days. If I had to do more, I remember in, um, Ashland, I did three zero days because I was waiting on a delivery of my Z packs, um, bag. Okay. So it was, if I was waiting for equipment or something to turn up, that's when I would have to do an extra zero. Or I did an extra zero in Mammoth. I remember that getting into the Sierras because I picked up my pack to put it on. And I remember I was on Skype to my family and my mom was like, I put it on. I was like, it was so heavy. And she was like, oh, she's like, check in another night to the hotel. She's like, let's do a shakedown. <laughs> so it turned into a night of just pulling everything out of my pack. And we're like, no, nah, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. So yeah, <clears throat> it sort of turned into that. So what did, yeah. what pack did you start 
the trail with? Okay, the pack that I started the trail with was the Osprey. Um, a uh, the, the Osprey, green one, right? A, it's green. Okay. One, the green one. It's actually really good. It's really good if you're going to be a day hiker or if you're going to um, do like a section. Okay. I think it's completely. I would highly recommend an Osprey, especially with the life time guarantee. The pack is still in incredible condition. I've had it since 2015, okay. um, and I put on a New Zealand hike. It's been rained on. It's incredible. And it's so comfy, like it just hugs your body, and you're like, "Oh, this is lovely." But, but it, yeah, it's heavy, yeah. and it's just adding. It's not heavy in, you know, people are dying in the world. It's not heavy, but it's heavy in the scheme of if you need to, you need to save a kilo. Um, I talk kilo, sorry. If you need to save two point two pound, you've got to, you know, you've got to get rid of that weight. So I ended up. It was halfway through Ashland, and I was like, "I've had enough. This is ridiculous." Like it was just weighing me down. Um, and it sort of takes the joy out of your hike. You've really got to find what makes you happy out there. That's the only way you can keep going mm-hmm. if you're happy. When you're depressed, you will leave the trail. It's just the way to go. So I remember speaking yeah, to my folks and they put in a, um, a an order for me uh, when I was out on the trail and they ordered uh, the Z-Pax Arc Zip. Okay. So I got that shipped to me around Ashland. It won't last anywhere near as long as a um, Osprey. It got a hole within the first, like, two weeks of it from leaning up against a bush. But I was like, oh, I just put some of that um, that Duck tape it. on it. Uh, no, I bought this stuff when I got into town. It's the, like, it's it's what you sort of do to okay. patch stuff. And it's still on the pack. It's like a clear tape. I'm trying to remember what it's called. But, yes, so I did that and it was fine. I think I got another hole on the outside of it and same thing sort of, sort of happened. It's nowhere near as comfy, but the best thing about the Arc Zip is it's got that little – it's sort of almost a bit of a copycat of the Osprey with the, the AG, the anti-gravity mm-hmm. system. It's got something that will allow it to sit off okay. your back. So it's it's much capable, but it does weigh like a piece of paper. So the extra money to get you through that hike is I highly recommend going with a lighter pack. A lighter pack all the okay. way, but it won't be as good quality. Right. And and you, because you started with the Osprey, when you went to the Z-Pack, you were sort of ordering in a vacuum, right? Or had you been able to somehow try it before? I was, no, I had okay. no way of trying it. <laughs> My friend on the trail, Barry, he had, he did have one. And I remember I, but I mean, his set was, his, of that, course, set to his yeah. body length and it was his version of it. And I put it on and it was just the comparison the of... It was no, yeah, it was the weight comparison. It was nowhere near as comfortable. So I was buying it purely on the weight, the weight requirement for me. So yeah, I just blindly You're bought it. it. I was winging it. That's the hardest thing about Z packs, though. Like you can't. It's like where can you get to to trial it, and you can't get a hold of their customer service. It's really difficult. So that's a, it's a real risk mm-hmm. to take um, to do Z packs. I do know that Osprey has done an ultralight one at the moment, though. Am I correct? I, a new one. It's like a white I gray color. So. I'm not totally up yeah. to speed on all of their packs, but I know that they have lighter weight versions of it, but they are also yeah. smaller, which I have a feeling the Z pack is yeah. probably also smaller. So it's not a, a 48 or a 55. It it's like a 32 or something. Sure. Yeah. I know the, the, uh, the Z packs that I got, I think it, was roughly a 48 oh, wow. okay. liter. It's quite, it's quite big. It's a lot bigger than you think, especially with the zip section at the front. Do you make it down to LA very much? Um, I was living in LA for four months after the trail. Oh, really? Yes, I was. So that was because I had a different, I was studying. I went back into just sort of resetting myself um, and went and studied film and TV 
in LA just to get myself back on back on <laughs> into my mm-hmm. real job, I suppose. Back on the yeah. radar again. Yeah, yeah. So it was a good sort of it sort of gave me the PCT gave me that go do it sort of action. So I did go to LA. Um, I was living in West Hollywood <laughs> without a car though, oh. so it was very difficult to get to the mountains to just sort of reset. Yeah. But, you know, West Hollywood. Yeah, it was probably not the greatest place to go after living in the woods for five and a half months. <laughs> I would not think so. It would yes. probably be an assaulted sound. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the homeless people grabbing stuff out of my hands. I was like, yeah. what's going on? The honking and the <laughs> so yelling. <no. laughs> and the, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. But, yeah, I know the Z-Packs, it was, yeah, it was roughly around a, a 48 okay. litre. I think that's what they were saying. Um, and it was – it was. It could take a lot more. Its load capacity was quite big because they had the zip section at the front that they've also added. So that was an entire like you can zip around it like a suitcase oh, and nice. pull it apart, and then you can strap in all your gear on the inside. It's a. It was a really good new new model of theirs. I will have um, to check it out. So yeah, I highly yeah I highly recommend it as that. But as I say, their customer service is very difficult. I'm not an absolute fan of that, and that's you know that's fine. I have other ones. I shipped out my tent. I, sh- I started with the MSR, the MSR, I had it down as the, the Hubber NX tent. That was the one that I had. It um, it was quite heavy, but I love it so much. I would absolutely, you know, use it again 100%. It was so easy to set up. It was just, you know, it was a delight to sleep mm-hmm. in. It was, you know, and you could take off the outside and you're like, you can look at the stars. Oh, I was like, I missed that. But I did get a new tent and it was from Yama Mountain Gear, okay. and it's a new. There, he he was a new ultralight hiking company he'd set up. Um, he's a hiker himself. Um, I think his trail name is Hike Simply. His name is Jen, and he did the. Uh, ser- he sent me the demo model he had in stock of a Seriform uh, single tent, but it was huge. Like it was a one man tent that you could fit at least probably three of me in it, um, and it was really long. So I was able to put my pack all down the bottom of it, and it was like. And it was quite, it was high, like high, high roof sort of setting, but I couldn't take it off and do like stargazing or anything. But the weight of it, again, was like a piece of paper. So when did you swap? It was out? well worth when it. When I saw that, that I swapped in Ashland because I remember that happened at the same time as the pack. Um, it was just a major decision just to go ultralight before heading into North California. Okay. Yeah. What did you do for sleeping? Like sleeping bags? Sleeping. Sleeping Yeah. Sleeping. So my sleeping bag I had, I used a Cedar Summit because it's a big Australian brand, mm-hmm. Cedar Summit. Um, Cedar Summit, I had the SP2 sleeping bag, but I did, I would next time go an SP3. It is, a, I, it's the warmer model up, but it's very light and it had, it's good, it's like 800, 900 down. Oh, okay. Nice. So it's it was and it, I used it the entire trail and it's still in incredible condition. Um, I did I gave it a good wash after the trail and it's all yeah it it got me through. But it was quite cold because when I by the time I'd got to the Sierras it was quite cold. And I have a funny story. I did make myself a Tyvek <laughs> sleeping bag okay. cover and. I cannot recommend this enough. Tyvek, I found it because I was like, what am I going to do? Like, I can't keep adding, like, warm layers. I've got to carry more clothing. Like, what am I, you know? It, and it, I was just cold right. at night, of course, because at the during the day you're just hiking, hiking. So it's like, you know, your body, your blood circulation is going. At night, of course, it gets a lot colder. So I couldn't carry, like, another 20 pairs mm-hmm. of socks or anything. So 
Tyvek, a sheet of Tyvek. If you make it, like if you put your sleeping bag and you make a Tyvek be able to wrap around the entire sleeping bag and I put Velcro on the sides of it and around the bottom. So I man-made a sleeping bag out of Tyvek and it was incredible. The warmth it gave was insane and I didn't have to sleep with um with an inner protector or anything like that I had nothing nothing that so it was just me and the sleeping bag and the Tyvek over it yeah and the warmth it holds is it's just it's magnificent I cannot recommend it enough so (laughs) it was it was DIY and it was the it was so Mm. light because Tyvek weighs nothing so I had a Tyvek footprint the, the only way i've realized this was because when i was going through that blizzard sort of section before in yeah. donna pass i was using my tyvek footprint as a wind skirt and a wind jacket and it was blocking out everything everyone else was freezing when they were like walking along the trail and stuff and here i am with this tyvek mm-hmm. cape and it was like it was blocking the wind so i was like well, i i could use this as a temperature yeah, a <laughs> savior in the Sierras. So I carried that Tyvek for the rest of the way. So I had the Tyvek footprint and my Tyvek, um, yeah, protector around the outside of my sleeping bag. So I found that DIY. You're an inventor. <laughs> right, this is what I was in there. We're like, what am I going to do? And I'm on Skype with my folks and they're like, let's try a Tyvek yeah, like sleeping bag. So cutting, I'm cutting up Tyvek being DIY and, girl. And just you put Velcro yeah. on the edges. Yeah, so I put Velcro on the edges so you just clip it like so you put your sleeping bag in it and like yeah clip it up along the sides just yeah velcro along the entire thing my visual reference here is you essentially made it into a burrito and just went whoop. Yeah, I mean, yeah it's a tyvek burrito <laughs> absolutely and it was good i made it extra long so that when it was like if i was cold on my face because i had like a balaclava and stuff to sleep in at night along with the hood of my sleeping bag i could put that over top of my face also nice. and it was like a cocoon nice. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! If only people could see what I looked like in my tent. <laughs> Did you have a, a a pad of some sort? Did you have air or close foam or? So I I used the Neo Air um, X Lite, the women's small okay. version. So it's roughly about 167 centimeters long. Um, so it was just enough for I am 167 centimeters high. <laughs> so like it was just enough, just enough, um, just to save that extra weight from the uh, the end of it. So I used that, and then all of a sudden, everyone's um, southbounders, all their mattresses started deflating in the desert. So whether they had like pierced something, and it had, we all started having holes hmm. in our um, our mattresses. But the brand is incredible. Um, they replaced it a full brand new one they just were like because it wasn't you know worth trying to find the patches in it i tried three times to find where the hole was at so i was like i don't know i was like that's what she said um but anyway so then um i had shipped out um so i'd shipped that out um to get repaired um and i replaced it just for the desert with the neo air the uh, the the thermarest the just the foam yeah and i i actually really really found it quite comfortable I probably would have thought twice, though, if I had that started out with that as a no-bow in the desert, I would have probably gone a Neo Air for the rest. Just getting yourself that few inches off the ground, it like your body mm-hmm. warmth, It thank you for it. And it's it's a much comfortable sleep, aside from hearing that from everyone moving around on it. <laughs> earplugs, right. earplugs. But you didn't have that problem as much because you weren't. Because I was alone. <laughs> 
which is I was legit very alone. I remember the first night I was alone on trail. I was like, okay, this this is gonna be what it's like. All right. How was that? Like, <laughs> as a as as a woman <laughs> on trail, literally by yourself, a hundred yeah. miles around, <laughs> like, yeah. My okay, my folks didn't sleep the entire n- day. Of a day and night, they had like forty-eight hours of just like, <gasps> is she gonna die? Like, are we gonna get a text back from her? Like, what's happening? It is scary. It really is scary, especially for someone who's not naturally, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a natural hiker. <laughs> but <laughs> come on now, um, the hair and the makeup says it. Ah. But like, <laughs> you're like, ah, judgment. <laughs> It does freak you out a little bit. It really does. Like every noise you hear, you start to, you know, create in your head, what could that be? Yeah. What's outside? Who knows? I'm very thankful to earplugs. Earplugs did save my life a lot out there. I didn't have to listen to noises outside. But also I think I've never probably slept better on the trail because you are walking from 6 a.m., Till I had sort of, I gave, gave myself a curfew towards the end of the trail. It was like 6 a.m. till, you know, 6.30 p.m. In Washington, you could hike until 10.15 p.m. at night and it would still yeah. be light. But towards the end, like, yeah, it would get dark quite early for me. But, yeah, 6 a.m. till 6 p.m. And you're pretty tired by then. So, I mean, I was asleep by at least 8 p.m. after I ate dinner. And you're just out and you're so, you sleep so well because your your body is trying mm-hmm. to recover like you need to get repair. I don't know how I feel about night hiking. I don't think it's probably good for your body when it needs to repair. You you got to give yourself sleep out there on the trail. You got to treat your body like a temple because a lot of people in the first 2 weeks are out of the trail because they've hurt themselves, they're sick, they've, you know, they've got plantar fasciitis mm-hmm. in the first week you know, footwear is not great. So you've got to work that out. They've, you know, pulled a calf or something. So you've really got to treat yourself like when your knees are hurting, give them rest, like give, like out on the trail, get yourself a good night's sleep. Um, you know, carry a little bit of stuff that you, that you need to put on, make the extra weight to, you know, carry some strapping tape. Seriously. If I had one more person asking me for <laughs> strapping tape, and of course I was the only douche on the trail who carried Apparently it. Apparently <laughs> you weren't the douche because you had it. Everyone needed it. I was like, well, um, but yeah, it's, it's about, it's about prevention. I think that's it. Like if you know you have bad ankles or you know that they get a little bit funny here and there, strap them the entire trail for five and a half months, just wear strapping tape. If you've got bad knees, strap your knees up. Like just do it. It's prevention. Yeah. Longevity. Treat yourself like a professional athlete. Absolutely. You are because you're doing something out there. Like you said, you're run, you're walking a marathon every day. It's like, it's a, yeah, we actually it's a are. Crazy. <laughs> You're a bit stupid. <laughs> Let's be honest. So you've got to really take care of yourself. Um, so that's one thing. I know like blisters and stuff like that. People would just let them, Ugh. let them sort of go bad. And you're like, well, you know, let's prevent mm-hmm. that. Let's, you know, I strapped my feet for the entire trail. When you say strapped your feet, what did you do? I strapped them. So, um, I think I've got some lovely pictures online. What I did, they're disgusting. Um, cause of course the amount of dirt you pick up from your shoes, I was like, this is just looking pretty. I strapped cause, okay. So as a dancer, I, uh, as a ballet dancer, I've been in point shoes my entire life. So I know my bunions on the mm-hmm. side of my uh, big toes are a problem. So I'd strap all the way around my bunions. 
I'd strap all the way around my big toes to stop any sort of heat rubbing happening. I'd strap every toe individually. I then stra- I have a bad um, bone on, on the outside of my little toe. I also would strap that. Then at the back of my heel, I'd also put strapping over that so that any sort of wear, wear and tear wasn't going to create a blister there. Um, I didn't have any problems with the soles of my feet, nothing in that sort of area. But sometimes I would strap it so that the um, that the tape would go underneath my foot, underneath the uh, the ball of my feet, in case that was going to create it. Sort of. And when you're saying yeah. strapping, I, this is a this is probably a translation thing. When okay. You're strapping. Are you talking tape or are you talking like a band aid? No, okay. I'm talking tape. Like an so, athletic tape. Um, yeah, an okay. athletic tape. Yes. Yeah. I definitely. Yeah. So I carried a yeah a, a roll yeah. of that a, a last mm-hmm. tape. Yeah. I don't know what do you guys call it? <laughs> trying to think what it is. Yeah, athletic like, like tape. the white athletic, athletic tape, tape, basically. Yes, that's it. Correct. Yeah, so it's a couple of inches mm-hmm. thick. Yeah, and so I would yeah strap that, um, and then therefore I didn't really need band aids on the trail. So I was like, that was very, I think I only carried like four of them, and I think I only used one or two from like a cut from a plant or something. You get right. a few scrapes yeah. through Sierra. Yeah, I stuff. think there was a picture of that you have on Instagram of your knee bleeding. <laughs> in the desert and I was like nah whatever <laughs> by then you don't care you're like you just know that nothing's like you're fine yeah. but sleeping alone on the trail was an interesting thing because I do know that like my folks and family were like oh my god she's alone she's alone like every night I'd be like yeah and I'd always send a text on my GPS it was like you know it was an automated this is where I am for the night so it dropped a pin for my location and they knew that I was there for the night and they would like sometimes reply they're like okay you know sleep well and that was it by like 50% through the trail, they were like, wouldn't even reply. They're like, whatever. Like, I just was like, she's fine. I was like, I could still die, guys. Come on. Does no one care anymore? <laughs> so, no. what, what was the beacon or whatever that you were using? Um, the beacon. Uh, so, I was using the Garmin. Okay. Yeah, Garmin device. Um, which one? The InReach. Okay. Highly recommended. I think you're pretty, my opinion is, I think you're a little bit silly if you go hiking without one. Um, the amount of rescues that uh, it's sort of some people found themselves in really sort of scary situations, dodgy situations, and uh, you know the fact that they had them on them is was a life mm-hmm. a game changer for them. And I think it's just and even if you don't buy the full unlimited messaging service, just something that you can push uh, emergency on, like. You just don't want to be found doing a river crossing or something and something happens. And Actually, you don't that have it. begs the question, river crossings yeah. by yourself. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, as a southbounder, you have a lot more luck because your melt-off of the snow is pretty much gone by the time you get to the Sierras. Sierras are your probably worst. your worst, um, worst crossings, river crossings. But it's sort of, it's actually post Sierras, I think. So that for me, it was pre-Sierras, okay. that sort of Sonora Pass section coming into Mammoth mm-hmm. um, Lakes. There's a few in that area there, and they have been labelled. They're flagged on um, on the app, the apps Were online you using, like, on the phones. I was using Guthooks, 100% Guthooks. Guthooks is amazing, and I am absolute like they are champions. Um, whoever started that because you were able to give people a heads up. There is no water at this source, guys. So they knew that they would have to stock up. Um, some people start to rely on trail angels and that's not a cool thing to do at all because, you know, as wonderful and incredible as that entire community is, you know, it's, it's not their job 
to make you safe out there. So, yeah, river crossings, I did do a couple solo and they're scary. Like mine was sort of more crossings of like waterfall crossings that were sort of slanted down and they're a bit scary. My advice is to wait until people are around, like if you can, like sit, just sit a little bit and wait until at least someone is either coming towards you or someone's coming behind you and do it with a group of people. I would even, if it was that scary of a river crossing that you're like, okay, no, I'm just going to wait, camp. Okay. Just camp a few feet away from the river for that night and wait until people catch up and do it, you know, especially as a solo female, I, I would have done that as a northbounder. Mm-hmm. Um, as a southbounder, I didn't, I didn't have to cross too many. And if I did, they were like ankle okay. high. I had one that was up sort of my thighs, but it was like a beaver dam. Right. And it's like, yeah, okay, it's fine. It's nothing crazy. So I was very, I was very lucky. You are much more, yeah, it's, it's hard timing wise being a southbounder because you're fighting right. snow and winter coming along in the Sierras and you've got to get yourself, you have three months to hit the Sierras. Okay. So yeah, you don't have time to sort of dilly dally around on the trail and be like, woohoo, live by a lake, you know, and take seven zeros. You've got to keep going if you want to do the Sierras and then, then you can sort of chill out after then. As you go through the yeah. desert. Except now you've got totally. the water issue. Then you got the water issue because there's no trail angels around. Unfortunately, yeah. they you know they they are a savior in the desert, and there are some incredible ones out there who just don't forget about the sobos. And it's not peak season, so they why should they really mm-hmm. care? Do you know what I mean? So there's no no hate or disrespect to them at all. It's not their job. So carry the water. Don't depend on it. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And it's one thing to really it's a lesson as a southbounder in that respect to not just guzzle water like you've got to you got to keep your hydration as long as you're getting something every so often you your body will be fine it will be absolutely fine i hated carrying liters and liters of water so i would stock up for how much i needed um, and how much i knew my body would need until my next sort of water source, which is probably a lot less than what the hydration recommendation is, and I will, you know, I will admit that. But I had real issue with pack weight. I I struggled going uphill with a lot of weight. What um, was your so What was your base weight? My base weight towards the end was probably about okay. ten pound, and then with food, yeah, with food water on top. Upon how much you needed? That's the thing. I think the biggest carry of water I did was probably about seven liters. Yeah, seven or eight liters, um, and that was a desert carry. You're pretty. It's just a desert. It's a hard one, um, and yeah. that sources are completely dry by the time you get to them as a southbounder. They've got a lot more like on gut hooks. You'd be like, yeah, water is flowing, and it's like back in April. Um, <laughs> you're like, I'm here in October. Completely Great. different. <laughs> you're like, oh god. But yeah, there's a lot of people who do rely on trail angels to resupply um, that that water supply, and, and it's may or not, may not be at that point. They or may not. They may or may not. And also, I think it's really an interesting. Like it t- teaches you about greed. Also, like when you do get to a source where a trail angel has so kindly put three or four liters of water, don't take three or four liters. Like take a little bit and leave the re- like. There is people behind you. Yeah. Like it's just yeah. consideration. I know you'd sometimes get to a source and it would be completely empty, and you're like, "This is silly." Like, you know, <laughs> you're like, "Okay, great, <laughs> excellent, yeah. thanks, guys." You're not the only person depending upon yeah. this water source. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, it becomes about yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Still circling on the safety thing. Yeah, hitchhiking. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
Pepper spray. Bear spray. <laughs> pepper spray, pepper spray, pepper spray. I carried bear spray in Washington and everyone laughed at me and I was like, whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> but then I got rid of it when I realized that my singing was a deterrent enough. Uh, hitchhiking is very, is a difficult one. A lot of, okay, <laughs> boys on the trail would use I'm me sure. as their as their as their ride wife <laughs> you were bait i was their bait so me in my hot pink shirt they were like we'll hitchhike with you it's like all right so i had a lot more i didn't have much trouble with hitchhiking um when i got to kennedy meadows south after the high sierras i met a gang of uh, bike riders called bikies in australia and they were very um they had great sort of um, information for me, I suppose. Uh, they were like, if you were our daughter and you were going south from here, we would highly recommend that you be very careful. Um, they said because, they, I mean, they spent their life riding these highways. So they were very, very aware of this type of behavior of people who would pick up people around this area. They were like, you're a blonde girl work, walking through here and – yeah, they're like, just be really, really careful, you know, have your wits about yourself, you know, be, yeah, I don't know, be aware. So I remember getting, there was one, there was one highway incident experience and it was going into Wrightwood and I had, I was by myself, but I had my headphones in just like talking to you here right now. I had one headphone in and I was listening to music at the time and so I've got my thumb out you know hitching a ride and some guy pulls up and he's in this sort of like black jeepy looking thing I opened the door I was like hey you're going to Wrightwood and he looked at me and he looked me up and down and had like a bit of like a sort of sus face a specked face on him and looked me up and down and then he was like yeah like a little bit suggestive and I was like okay and I and went like this I grabbed my earpiece and I was like sorry what's that mum I was like, oh, she's just found a trail angel. Thank you so much. And I just closed the door and he was like, thank you, and walked away. He stayed there and he waited and waited and waited. And I was like waving. I was like, you know, it's all cool. It's all cool. I was like, oh, my God. I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> like, oh my yeah. God. And he just – and he waited like five minutes. Like he would he wasn't going to go. And then he slowly started to drive away after that time. And then another car came along but from the ski fields mm-hmm. of around that right wood area. They came up and it was a truck full of two – I had two, two guys and a woman in the back. And I was like, hey, are you heading to Wrightwood? And they're like, yeah, jump on in. Had my GPS device on me just in case. And I was like, yep, cool, got in. They were the most amazing people. I still follow them on Instagram. <laughs> that was so cool. Had the best conversation and they were like out in the ski fields mm-hmm. looking for stuff all day. And they were like, oh, God, you walked from – you know, like they were so into my story. Anyway, they dropped me off at the Wrightwood Mountain Store and I went to one of the cafes and I walked in and ordered what I needed and I sat down at the table and the guy at the counter goes, next please, to someone behind me. And he's like, next please, he repeated and the guy wouldn't answer him. And so I looked up and there was the guy from the black Jeep that had that had come into the cafe and he's looking directly at me. Anyway, and the guy, that he looked towards the guy at the counter and looked up at the menu and went, no, I'm fine, and walked out. And I was like, oh, my God. And I was just like, that's, that's the guy that just I'd said no to a ride. And they were like, they said at the counter, they were like, oh, we thought he was with you because he followed you up the street oh, and into the cafe. I was like, 
oh my god and they're like we're gonna organize you somewhere to stay for the night <laughs> they're like here's a pct badge by the way but <laughs> we're also gonna find somewhere so they just like the community of people is incredible people are looking out for you but i also by that like always i had learned to trust my instincts from very early on in washington people who were hiking 32 days like straight out the gate i just couldn't keep up with them and i knew i i constantly told myself trust your instinct Gretel you're going to hurt yourself you're not going to be out here very long if you don't listen to you and by that stage i had very good instincts of people on the trail weird things that i would see crazy tent spots i don't know like i just had my wits about me and i am very thankful to that day for yeah, yeah making that decision to just trust if people don't look, if you don't think that person looks right, do not get in the car. Do not. Like under any circumstance, make another excuse, run, do something, don't get in the right. car. But it is scary. It's yeah. So scary. And I know. Something I would be like, then everyone go hitchhiking. Like, yeah. I mean, that's a big thing. Like when you talk to people now and you're explaining like what it is that you're doing with your through hiking of a trail and you're like, yeah, about every three to five days you come off the trail and you go into town. And a lot of those times you're hitchhiking and, and they're like, you're what? <laughs> yep. They're like, sorry. <laughs> you got into people's cars that you don't know. Yeah, I did. It's like you have no choice. Yeah. But from that point on, on the trail, I mean, my, my cell phone reception, from Wrightwood South, um, of course, getting into the Californian area is a lot stronger. So, I mean, you go through Washington, you've got nothing. Oregon, it sort of comes and goes. You've got some dark patches. But then California, you're pretty okay. So I made sure that, and this is why I talk about being goal-oriented and being on schedule, I made sure that when I got into a town, I would organize a next pickup. I would try to get like a trail angel to pick me up from that next highway or I would walk that highway into town. I was just going to walk it. I was like, it was either going to walk it. I wasn't going to even attempt to try and hitch after that point. And I mean, that was only sort of, you know, 300 and something right. miles to go. So it wasn't that crazy, but you know, it is a very, how would you organize experience. the trail angel? Like, how would you? Yeah. Good question. That is, um, there is an incredible community online on Facebook. Um, there is also a, a page that's got PCT Trail Angels. If you just put that into Google, a, a, a page comes up and it lists all the trail angels that list themselves for the year. Um, and they give all their details, their phone number, their email, how they can be contacted. So you can organize prior to the trail. Of course, you can also look them up to see if they look like they're legit people. Most of them are. I would say 99% of them are because they're very honest human beings. Not many people are that are that giving right. in their lives right. to really take time out to host dirty hikers we smell we don't like we haven't showered in days let's be honest like we're dirty like i mean it's a lot for people to go get in my car man you smell amazing like wow yeah <laughs> you know they've got the biggest the the most incredible hearts they are so giving and so, I mean, it's a, there's a real community of them. So you can look them up. You can have find the AT Trail Angels online. You can find the CDT Trail Angels, PCT Trail Angels. You can just find people who are Trail Angels in SoCal only, okay. you know. So, and it's all over Facebook. So, I mean, it just takes a, it takes a lot of research. And that was what I was doing mainly for the two months prior to me hiking the trail, as opposed to going out walking every single day, because I was already physically fit. I put more into the, the research side of things. Because I was going to an, a completely different country, solo, 
I didn't have any point of contact in the U.S. aside from a brother who didn't know who was, you Houston. know, I mean, he's part of a ballet company. So he's in Houston. Yeah, he, he was in the Houston Ballet Company at the time. So, I mean, his schedule, I could not be like pick up the phone, hey, can you come and save yeah. me? Because, I mean, he's in ballet class doing nine to five. <laughs> like it's not working. So, um, yeah, so I didn't have my um, – I, I needed to know my outs. Mm-hmm. I needed to know my in and outs to the trail and know my mileage every day and know my stops when I was next getting to the next stop. And yeah. Did you, did you set those things up with the trail angels before you started or as you were moving along? I had, I had only set up the trail angel. There was one trail angel I'd set up and that was going, it was a stop after the tra- um, Idlewild. Okay. I think, yeah, I'd gotten onto one of the trail angels prior to getting into Idlewild. Um, but I had walked into into Idlewild, uh, into Idlewild and had organised someone to pick me up to take me to the trail Get and back. to um, also stay in Idlewild with her. Yeah, um, yeah. So that was also another one that I had organised. Yeah. Then I think there was maybe Big Bear. Okay. I think that was the other. Yeah, another trail angel pickup point. Yeah, that I'd organised. Another one. Another couple. So hard to remember all these destinations. You're like, oh my god, where was I at? <laughs> Um, yeah, another one was Tehachapi. That's a bit of a um, – Tehachapi is a bit of a hard one because you get to that highway and then all of a sudden you go – it's just a big highway and you either – you can't sort – I mean, you could walk into Tehachapi mm-hmm. if you really want to, but it's a bit of a it's a bit of a trek yeah. and it's a main highway. There's a lot of trucks. Like I know trucks are just like beeping galore at a girl in a hot pink shirt with a bright blue, blue backpack, like bleached blonde hair by the sun by that point. Um, so I'm like – I was like, if only you'd picked me up, you wouldn't smell how amazing yeah. I was. <laughs> I might have looked okay. <laughs> but um, so I did organize a lovely trail angel there. Or an- another one, she um, – there's actually a, a group of them into Hatchapi that, some, that someone had set up and he, he gets people to come and pick you up. Oh, okay. It's amazing. Yeah, um, there's a whole bunch of them. But I had, yeah, had one lady look after me in particular and she was incredible. She was a very, very – she drove me to the post office to pick up my stuff. I'd stayed at my own accommodation though because I had a lot of stuff mm-hmm. to do, a lot of packaging to do and repackaging um, and resetting on the trail. And then, um, yeah, she helped me do a lot of stuff. Because you were saying it, I think it was to Hatchapi where you set up the second series of resupply boxes. Yes, that was. So did you buy yeah. your supplies into Hatchapi – box it all up and and ship it out okay yeah yep so by that stage I also I had um stocked up on some like I went to like a Target and a Walmart and that in Tachapi um and did a lot of stocking up of all my dehydrated foods again on my pastas and noodles and everything and yeah by that stage I mean I was able to chuck in a few different things here and there that I'd worked out I was like yeah I'll have a bit of that Mm -hmm. something different it was probably the best location to do a huge resupply because there's so many huge depot stores yeah um so you can you can get around and it's quite easy so i just walked a lot around to hatchaby um and because i had that like the week or two off there for the boys to catch up i made sure that i continued walking around to hatchaby um just because i was worried about losing Mm -hmm. my um my mileage per day by that point i was like oh am i gonna lose my fitness (laughs) because your body starts to swell it does start to swell after you've stopped it starts to ache because it's coming down off a trail of mm-hmm. doing, you know, 28, 30 miles a day. All of a sudden it's like, what, what? You're not getting up. You're not drinking how many liters of water a day. Oh, it's, oh, it starts to freak out. 
I remember when I stopped the trail in and I went into LA to reset myself and deal with visa issues. I was staying with a, a gentleman that I'd met on the trail. Um, he was also a fellow Australian, but he wasn't doing the PCT. He just loves to go hike certain sections. Um, and he hosted me in LA very kindly. And I know, like, I was, in, I had terrible migraines. My body was aching. It was swelling. I was like, I couldn't put like shoes on. I was like, pants were struggling to get on. It was just, and it was a real, it was a real strange time. And I know, like, my face was even holding fluid. It was crazy. It just had lost the plot after the trail, as we like to say in Australia, you lose the plot. It didn't really know what was what was happening because you've been hiking for so long, for five and a half months, doing something. Yeah, as I say, it's like coming down off a crazy drug, I suppose. Let's, withdrawal. And anybody's like, ah, withdrawal. That's exactly right. It's withdrawal. How long did it take <laughs> you to get past that once you – It took me um, – I remember it probably around – so that – I'd finished the hike in November, like mid-November, and it got me to um, oh, got me to mid-December. Sorry, one second. <laughs> yeah, I'll take that. Yeah. I'd finished the trail mid-November. Mid-December, it started to be at the height of its pain, and then January, it started to calm down a bit. Probably February was when I started to feel less like knee pain, um, and my muscles were able to be stretched again. Wow. Yeah, it's almost like they start to seize after the trail because they're not used to – you don't walk as far as you do. Yeah. I remember I tried to do a few hikes with the, the gentleman I was staying with in L.A. and my head was – I was I had such a migraine. I was in so much pain. Like it was tears mm-hmm. pain. I felt stupid. I was so embarrassed. I was like, oh, my God. And he's like, you've just like – he's like, you've just come off the trail. <laughs> like I think he thought I was insane. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm in so much pain. And it was it was just a yeah a complete withdrawal and then trying to do something it was not used to doing again. It was like, what are you doing to me? You've had a month off, and now you want to do big miles and climb again. And I was like, oh. so it's something. It sounds doing. like you couldn't even you come off the trail and you start having these issues um, or withdrawal mm-hmm. or whatever, and it and you your body feels challenged enough that even trying to get out and and even get a few miles of walking in is painful and not yeah. not fun essentially 100 percent. that's completely correct yeah there was no fun in it um i remember i looked at a few of those mountains in la and i was like oh god that makes me feel sick <laughs> i just was like i can't do that my body was like no it was because i knew that how unhappy i would be doing it but i mean now i would probably happily like it doesn't hurt at all to go for a, a bit of a hike around around in Vancouver in the mountains or whatever. It's like it's it's fine. But, it did, yeah, it's just afterwards it's like your muscles are like, are, are you going to give me a rest? Is this a rest? Oh, no, you're not. Okay, all right. So we're back at it. Oh, I'm not ready for this. It's like freak out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you – on the trail, did you have much injury issue, like blisters or no. – um, So, of course, at or first – Or toenails um, or – Blisters. No, toenails were okay. They were, I was worried that they did – there is – your toenails will – I mean, depending, I suppose, on your toenails. Mine did go – were bruised, bruised toenails. So they sort of lost a bit of blood supply to like the halfway point of the nail bed. And I was like, all right, see you later, nails. Obviously, you're not going to grow back. 
hey, my nails are amazing. Like they're fine. They're back and they're all good. I was like, all right. So it's it's completely capable. I just made sure I took good care of them afterwards, made sure right. they were, you know, all clean and they've just grown back into their normal mm-hmm. normal um, nail bed. Blisters, blisters were hard at first, but I have an old remedy thanks to Please. my mother who was an ex-soccer and hockey player. And I carried this on the trail. I carried a needle and thread um, for the whole trail. Of course, I mean, you would carry it to fix something, right. um, which I ended up using a couple of times. I fixed my Z-Pax belt um, with dental floss and a needle. My hip belt, the pack came off it. I also fixed something else, I remember, on the trail. Uh, my uh, my tights, my leggings that I first wore in Washington were starting to split, um, so I fixed them up. But I carried so a needle and thread, 100% cotton, when you start to get a blister and it goes to the, the watery mm-hmm. blister, so before it's popped, put the needle and the thread and you thread it through the blister. Like top to bottom, like all the way through. All okay. the way through. So you put a little piece. So if you've got the needle and you've got a little piece of cotton on the end of it, thread the needle through the blister mm-hmm. all the way through. And then at the end, make sure there's a knot in the, the end of the cotton and then cut off so that the cotton stays in okay. the blister. So – there is this, it's obviously an old wives tale or something. The cotton will soak up the liquid okay. of the blister and it dries it out a lot faster than if you were. So just piercing the blister and busting it still makes the skin really red raw mm-hmm. underneath. So to get back up and go again the next day, you're just, you're going to create a, a, a sore or a, um, yeah, a, yeah. a wound. Whereas with the cotton, you keep the cotton in it. It keeps the the holes closed that you've pierced the blister on it, and it dries it out overnight. So when so I would do that at night, and so it would soak up the mm-hmm. the liquid from the blister, and I had no issues. So then the next day, what I would do is I'd make sure I put tape around that, um, even with the cotton in it, just tape around it, and it would be fine till I got into town, and then I would take it take it off, and just remember to pull it out the side of the cotton blister but, but but by then it's dried up and it's done and it's and it was yeah so it's just cotton thread it's cotton and th- yeah could just just 100 percent cotton thread um with a with a needle I, I used to do it as an old point shoe trick to stop like blisters yeah. from bleeding in ballet so and i'd learned it from my mum who used to obviously with hockey and yeah. soccer playing they used to get blisters all the time from the shoes so it was an, an old remedy that they used. So my blisters stopped in Washington and I didn't get another one since wow. from after the first like week or two in Washington itself. I had more shoe trouble because okay. oh, we were talking about injuries. Uh, I did hurt myself when I fell over in the bushwhacking experience of Washington of 2017. And that's when I was like, oh, God, I think I've torn my ACL. Like I thought I was like I was done. My knee, I was like I felt this real. As I got back up, I was like, oh, it's like a spasm in the back of my knee. Like if my knee goes, I'm done. So I remember I just sat down when I got to the bottom of that. I just sat down for like half an hour or an, um, an hour and I massaged the back of it and I carried – I had this little ointment with me. Um, I use what we call comfrey um, and comfrey I had a pure um, concoction back from Australia. Um, comfrey with this cream called Hiridoid, which you cannot get in America. Yeah, America. Um, yeah, you're like, thanks. Hey, you guys have some good stuff, but you don't have this. Herodoid is used for any bruising okay. or swelling. Models use it for under their eyes for like bags and stuff to get rid of that black, mm-hmm. the black dark circles. So it takes down swelling quite fast. Uh, so I put that with comfrey together and made like a little sort of solution and put it on the back of my knee and just ta- like tackled it that at lunchtime also did again in the afternoon and at night and whatever it gave me a little bit of problem for about a week 
um, but then all of a sudden it eased up. When I did get to town, I did get a knee guard just in case it was a problem, and I strapped around my knee okay. um, with the athletic tape again. So, but after a week or two, it was fine. So it's just it's about longevity. It's like prevention. It's what can you do straight away rather than keep going on it and be stupid on it. What do you do? But those were the only two injuries I had. If we talk about injuries like blisters and that knee, yeah. Other than that, everything else was okay. It sounds a little bit like your background, like with ballet and having issues with feet and things like that. Like on one level, you were pre-prepared to be able to (laughs) find a solution to this type type of injuries because (laughs) you've been there before. Problem solved. Yeah, I know my parents had said that when people were saying to them, are you stupid? Like, why are you letting your only daughter, I've got five brothers, your only daughter go on this trek? And and their reply was, well, we'd let her go first before the boys. She's got problem solving skill. So like, okay, all right, whatever. But as I say, I did have more issues with footwear. And that's probably because of my background. I had very high arches. Do tell. Please Um, talk to me here. Yes. Yeah. All right. High arches. Good luck. Because they make a lot of shoes and footwear for people who don't have arches, who have dropped arches. So at first it was so highly recommended for people around me. They were like, oh, lightweight shoes, like ultra, the the, The ultra, um, the ultra, sorry, the ultra zero zero drops. Amazing. All right, great. Okay, put them on. Oh, my God, I was in so much pain. The whole of Washington, like the first section of Washington my feet, I looked back on my text messages that I was sending my family and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. It was creating so much pain all the way down my calves, like my muscles were going to snap mm. because my feet were so flat on the ground, it was overstretching my okay. Achilles. Anyway, so I was like, well, what can I do? I, so I put green feet in them to try and see if I could lift it. But again, it wasn't enough because it was popping me out of the shoe right. then because the ulcers are so flat. So by the time I got to, I got to Snoqualmie, um, I so had. I, I, I'm going to divert you here for just a second, but I want to hear this because okay. I have issues with high arches, and the top yeah. of my foot is so high <laughs> that I have issues with tying it very tight on the top and the whole bit. But yes, <laughs> no, it's just so funny because I'm originally from Washington State. I am actually originally from Leavenworth. Oh, so cool. <laughs> That's incredible. So like I was following people this year and like everybody would drop into Leavenworth for resupply and to get off the trail and stuff. And it was just very yeah. nostalgic for me. <laughs> so hearing you. So when you say Snoqualmie, Stephen's exactly. cars, and like favorite place, Skycomish, my favorite. <laughs> I was like, I love um, Skycomish and Trout Lake. But so yes, Snoqualmie was when I changed over to the um the Salomon mm-hmm. um 3Ds. Okay. Now, they're of course heavier, but they're and they're not a hiking boot, thank God. Um but they for me that with the green feet I did the rest of the trail in and had no issues whatsoever. They were so they were great on anything like on all terrain. They were, they were, they had no issue. They were a bit slippery on ice, but I think all shoes are slippery on ice. But people in zero drops didn't have as much problem on ice, funnily enough. I don't know. I saw some people who were able to sort of just like go, whereas I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to die. But the Salomons, I, myself and another, there was a fellow hiker who I hiked a lot of the trail with actually on and off. Um, we ran into each other a lot because he was another southbounder. He, uh, his trail name's Bergie and he's from Taiwan. He's actually crazy and he's going all the way 
to South America. He's heading to like the, but yeah, yeah, he's doing the try. Like he's just kept going. His, his idea was to hike the PCT, then kayak Central America and then bike South America. Okay. So yeah, but it's ended up, he's, he's ended up hitchhiking through Central America because of an injury to his shoulder that he did kayaking. Um, so now he's biking through South America, but Bergie also used salamence and he had no issues at all through the entire trail. So okay. I don't know. I highly recommend for people with arches yeah. that are dominant that, and I, yeah, the green and feet. When you say green feet, um, are you talking about the super feet that are green? The feet Got that it. are green. Okay. Yes. Um, that's what they are. Yeah. The other ones are made for flat, um, the blue the yeah. blue version is for flatter ones, but yeah, the greens I put in with the Salamons and I, yeah, still have them. And I ended up getting, I only went through two, um, two pairs of the, um, the super mm-hmm. feet, the green greens. version. Um, yeah, I went through two, uh, two pairs of them. Okay. Yeah. So they did start to come apart, um, after I think the Sierras, I think I stocked up into Atchapee okay. for them. So they did do pretty good mileage and the shoes were all, uh, were great too. I think they got through nearly 800 to uh, like 800 miles one pair wow yeah so i did i only went through two uh one two three three pairs um not including the altars in original washington up to sky Coast. yeah um so they're pretty good i highly did recommend you use them. gators at all i used gators yes i did um my mum made my first gator pair just to copy <laughs> off there um <laughs> when i left and they get they they lasted me for a while i was very sad to throw them away because i was like no oh, they were a pretty lycra print mm-hmm. like <laughs> they're lovely but i had to get rid of them because they did start to fall apart and i was sewing them up constantly okay. so i was like okay so then i just went with the um i think the the altars do a gator brand i think so i just stocked up on one of those to hook into the salamons oh perfect okay um okay. yeah so they were fine. The Salamons don't have a thing at the back, though, of the gator. So I ended up sewing. They don't have, like, mm-hmm. a Velcro um, that altars give. Um, so I ended up sewing on, like, a piece of elastic to go under the gator to hold it down a bit like okay. a horse. Um, okay. Yeah. Horse rain. Right, Shoes. Yeah. <laughs> right. What socks were you using? I was using uh, – so I slept in different socks that I did to hike in. I um, used the – oh, God, what are they called? Um, the Darn Tufts. Okay. Yeah. I used the darn tufts, um, and they were um, those darn tufts. They lasted me a lot on the trail. I picked up, um, I switched out um, a new pair in Wrightwood okay. at the Wrightwood store. That's there. They do a free switch out, which is sort of gross because I'm like, they're like, here's a paper bag, <laughs> and then I feel like I'm so sorry, like I apologize. But luckily, like they're like that's fine, and they're like clean. I mean, please, hikers, advice to hikers wash your socks before you give them to the Wrightwood store <laughs> like or to any store. Don't give them your dirty socks. So um, they gave me, yeah, two new pra- pairs. So I'd only gone through like four pairs, I think, mm-hmm. four or five pairs of socks on the trail. But the ones that I did, um, I slept in a different, a different pair and they were um, ones that I'd got back in Australia from an outdoor store. They're like a merino sock. Okay. So they're like a New Zealand mm-hmm. wool. And I also had – in Mammoth, I stocked up on a um, a ski sock, so to put to sleep in because my feet were getting so cold. So I'd put them on first, so they're a bit of like a mm-hmm. liner, and then my merino thick wool socks, um, and then I had another pair also on top of that because um, my feet did get very cold. But I bought um, to replace the amount of socks that I needed. I bought down boots. 
They were amazing. Oh, like booties? <laughs> yeah, booties that are down for sleep time. Sleeping was so important to me. I'm so sorry, but it was so important. I needed quality sleep. So it was earplugs, earplugs, the down booties. In Mammoth, I bought, and I have no regrets for the amount that it costs, the mountaineering, uh, that, sorry, mountaineering, um, mountain, Western mountaineering down pants Ooh. because because it was so cold at night to sleep. I was, um, they are just incredible. And I had bought another pair of down pants, but they were so much heavier. And I've only just recently compared the light of them. I showed my mum when she came. I was like, oh, my God, check this out. I was like, this is why I bought those pants. She's like, oh, my God, there's, like, significant weight difference. Yeah. So they weighed next to nothing, but they, like, gave, they were so warm. And even when it was really on, like, some really cold mornings, I'd put them on, and they were amazing. Like, they were the best investment. And another hiker, um, a friend of mine, Barry, his, um, he also bought them too in Mammoth just coincidentally, and he was like, they were the best purchase. Okay. That he made. Oh, fantastic. So them and the down. With so many things to talk about, my conversation with Gretel ended up being quite long. Therefore, I have split it into two parts, and this was a natural break point before we moved on to the next topic. I have pulled forward her contact information to finish up this episode in case you want to reach out to her. Stay tuned for part two next week. Where would you prefer people find you? Yeah, well, people can find me online. Um, Instagram, I'm very active on. Of course, it's got a lot more of my music sort of mm -hmm. stuff these days yeah. and um, that sort of business. So it's at Gretel Scarlet, G-R-E-T-E-L, Scarlet, S-C-A-R-L-E-T-T. -T. Um, that is also my Facebook, um, the exact same. You can look that up. And I've also got Twitter with the same handle also. Very original. OG. <laughs> <laughs> but my um my PCT blog, which recalls the entire experience because I did blog um the entire thing out on the trail on an iPhone, which was very difficult. I you can find me at highwayofmymind.blogspot.com. And that's got the entire experience. It's got my PCT resupply locations that I used and also my original gear list. I do need to update with what I shipped out and what I ended up with. Right. That would be very good. But most of all the pre-planning is all on there. Okay. Yeah, I was trying to get into it. And I see there's one there from December of 17. And there's one there from like March of 18, where you basically talk about your health and that kind of thing. But I yes. couldn't find the ones before that. Yeah, sure. It's on. If you go to the archive um, on the side of okay. the page, there is like there's a, at the top of it. There's like three lines, mm -hmm. and if you click on that and you go to archive, if you start back around June of 2017, um, that's when I first announced that I was doing okay. the hike itself. Oh, sorry, May. May of 2017 was my first hike. If you do scroll down, though, the page on the first uh, on the first page, there is, I know it's very light. It says more posts, and it's under, it's in a different, in a blue. Okay. I need to fix that background color. But yeah, that's how you can find it through the archive okay. section. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. No worries. Speak a little louder. And links for Gretel's gear can be found on our website at hiking-through.com. Special thanks to Gretel for sharing her stories from the trail 
and Maya Wynn for the use of the song Try Again. I would love to hear about your trail stories as well, so please email me at hikingthroughpodcast at gmail.com, or you can also DM me on Instagram at hikingthroughpodcast. We would also love it if you would find us on your favorite podcast provider and leave a review. I'll see you on the trail. <laughs>